Today, our scripture reading comes to us from the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10 through 22. And as in the days of the scribe named Ezra, let us stand for the reading of the, our Father's word. And the scripture reads as this. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you, who are Gentiles by birth, are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> you may be seated. Preston, I would have thought with those two little girls you have in your house, you would have lost all of your energy. They should have seen you before they came. Uh, Yusufu Turaki is a Christian scholar and uh, leader, author in Nigeria. And he tells the story of a man from a rural tribe in Nigeria who had met an evangelist there who'd come to visit, and the evangelist led him to Jesus. Uh, after a while, this, this new believer from the tribe had his first opportunity uh, to go into the town, and the evangelist took him for the very first time in his entire life into a church. He was thrilled. But when he walked into the church, he was shocked when he saw people from a neighboring tribe that his own tribe just hated, a, a tribe that had killed some of his own family members and a number of his friends. He was angry when he saw them there. And he said, what, what are these people doing in a church? They are killers. 
I will not be seen in the same place with them. But his evangelist friend told him, then you have not yet really understood why Jesus died. He died so that they might be in his church, and he died so that you might be in his church. And when you are in his church, you and they are in it only because he died for you. Jesus gave his life to bring us all into one tribe under one heavenly Father. So if you cannot learn to love the brothers and sisters that your father has brought into his family, you do not yet love your heavenly Father. I tell you, I, I thought about that story as I came to the text that Preston read for us today. Indeed, I thought of many other stories, but I wanted to start far away because I have seen in so many, maybe every church I've ever been in, that there are still often those same kinds of feelings and walls among God's people. And today we come to the text, I'll have to think maybe of every text in the Bible, this is the text that has been most central to my understanding of what we should be here at Lake Avenue Church. So let's go, let's go all the way back. Uh, because sometimes we idealize these early churches in the New Testament. Let's become like the New Testament church. Well, maybe we want to be more than that. I want us to think about the dividing wall that was there back then as we come to the book of Ephesians that, that Paul calls the dividing wall of hostility. Um, throughout this study in the book of Ephesians, do you remember, those of you who have been here, that I've said that there were two major groups, ethnic groups, religious heritage groups, that were there in the church of Ephesus. They'd come to Jesus by faith, now they're there in the church together. There were the Jewish people and there were the non-Jewish people, the Jews and, and the Gentiles. In, in last week's passage, I, I told you that for all of them, for, for every one of them, they had on their own no hope. Do you, do you remember? That all of you, he said to them, are dead in your own transgressions and sins, but now God has done something for us. By his grace, we haven't earned it. Through faith in Jesus, uh, the wall between us and God has been torn down. So there was a wall between a holy God and unholy people, and in faith that comes down. But the problem is, in church, so many times the wall between us and God has come down, but we continue to have walls between us and other people in the church. They remain intact. Do you know that that's true? And that's what brings us to Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. The point that the Bible makes in our text today is that God's grace through faith in Jesus is not only saving grace, breaking down the wall to God, it is uniting grace, drawing together all who respond to Christ. And in our text today, what the Apostle Paul does, I'm going to try to show it to you, is he takes on this matter of broken relationships among people within the local church and calls us to a oneness. Just, just to see it, I want to show you two verses to start with. Verse 14, if you have a Bible in front of you, verse 16 in verse 14, this is what we see. Christ has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And in verse 16, Christ put to death their hostility. Do you notice that word hostility? That is one strong word, isn't it? That is a word for a feeling that an enemy has for another enemy, and he's talking about people having that feeling for one another in the church. 
There in verse 14, that wall of hostility, that dividing wall of hostility that he talks about, I'm sure he was referring back to what was happening in the Jerusalem temple. He'd seen it many, many times. I have a picture of it for you here. There was a dividing wall there that kept those who were not Jewish. They, they could come and become Jews themselves and sort of have a relationship, but there was a dividing wall that kept them from being able to come into the most intimate places where they could actually meet God in that way with other believers. I'll just show you how that worked. Now, to tell you this, on that wall, there is an inscript, was an inscription, and that inscription can still be found in Jerusalem at the Rockefeller Museum that is there, and it's called the Thanatos Inscription. It's written both in Greek and in Latin. I think I have a picture of that for you to see as well. This is what that says, translating it. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death. What if we had a sign out there like that for coming in church? And that hostility found in that inscription had spewed out into a lot of the teaching that they heard when they would go into the synagogues. There were some rabbis, not all, not all, but some rabbis who taught that the only reason why God created Gentiles was because he wanted to have some fuel for hell. There were other rabbis who said it is immoral to help any Gentile woman give birth to a child because all she's doing is bringing another pagan or heathen into the world. So you can feel the hostility that would have been there. So I, try to imagine being a young Jewish couple, maybe just having your first couple of children, you hear the gospel of Jesus. You believe uh, the wall between you and God comes down, you're alive to him, and you come into the church and you begin worshiping there. Then you go back to visit your family for a vacation or a holiday or something, and uh, you tell them, uh, we have become followers of Jesus. Now, uh, their, their Jewish parents might begin to think, oh, this is not the best. On, on the one hand, this is not the best thing that could happen. But on the other hand, at least this Jesus was Jewish, so it might be okay. But when they say, who else is in that church? And you would begin to talk about the Gentiles who were there. I think like Tevye, they would say, there is no other hand for that. <laughs> because you're supposed to keep your distance, the very thought of a group of people worshiping together, serving alongside of one another, learning and growing with one another. It was unthinkable. And that hostility that was going from the Jewish people toward the Gentiles, it was at least as much going back the other way. Anti-Semitism, the hatred of Jewish people, was alive and well back in the first century as it has continued to be even into our own day. All of this is to say that one of the most difficult issues, if you, when you read the New Testament, that the early Christians had to deal with was how is it possible that these two groups of people with so much hostility with one another could actually be in one church family worshiping and growing together. It is central to the book of Ephesians, to Romans, to Galatians, over and over and over again. So we knew it took the blood of Jesus to break down the wall between us and God for us as sinful people to, to come to have a relationship with God. How is he going to break this wall down that exists among us as people? How God breaks down walls through the cross. 
verse 16. God put to death their hostility. Now, I hope you'll read this text through, but if you look at the way he begins, he began just like he did last week. With verses 11 and 13, he talked to the Gentiles first. And he used some of the language that he as a Jewish man, I'm sure, had used all of his life, negative about them. Uh, you people who were of the uncircumcision, we who are the circumcised. I don't know why anybody would take pride in that, but they did. But I, I do know why. I do know why. But when you think about it, he says, you were people who were far away from God, alienated from God. And he goes on to, to say, you didn't even have the law. They, they didn't know God's word. They didn't know what God expected of them. And so he sums it up there in verse 12. You Gentiles, you were without hope and without God in this world. But then, verse 13, with once again that powerful phrase, but now, ah, he's going to be talking to us, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. But, but it wasn't really just the Gentiles. They would often use the phrase, we are near. But because they did have the scriptures, uh, Paul and his Jewish friends, I mean, they, they knew the law of God. They liked it. Many of the Psalms were about how beautiful and wise and good the law of God is. So they loved the law of God, but they just had, they had a problem too. Do you know what that was? They knew what God wanted them to do. They couldn't live that way. <laughs> For century after century after century, they had fallen short of keeping the law. So they too were in trouble and not ready to stand before a holy God. Therefore, what, what does God do? Verse 15, we get the answer. It's kind of a hard verse, but really, I think I can explain it quickly. Jesus set aside in his flesh that law with its commandments and requirements. What it is talking about is the way that they thought that they could have eternal life and be right with God was for them to keep the commandments and the laws, all of its requirements. They couldn't do it. But Jesus, in his flesh, when he lived in this world, he did what nobody else could do. He lived perfectly in keeping the law. So that's not the way you come to God. And he has opened up a different way to come to God. He bore, he lived that life and then bore as the sinless one our punishment on the cross so that by faith in him, the wall between us and God is torn down. Because Jew and Gentile, young and old, men and women, with that beautiful declaration in verses 17 to 18, I hope you're going to be saying hallelujah. Listen to it. Verse 17, Jesus came and he preached peace to you who were far away and he preached peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So with, with that phrase, he was, he was just underscoring the whole text that we looked at last week. The wall between us has come down. But now here comes the part. When the wall between us and God comes down, the walls that exist among us come down too. Let me show it to you. Verse 14, Jesus is our peace. He destroyed the wall of hostility. If you miss it, verse 15, Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. It keeps recurring, this reconciled 
right relationship. And if you miss it there, verse 18, through Jesus, both Jew and Gentile have access to the Father by one spirit. Now, I'll tell you, when you read this text, I'm, I'm sure we miss the way it must have hit them in Ephesus when, when they first were reading this letter from Paul. Let me just tell you this. If you'd been alive in that time and you'd heard this, this is one of the most in-your-face passages in the entire Bible. What he is just, it's kind of like he's pounding on the pulpit and saying, Jesus died for us all. Jesus shed his blood to bring us to God and to one another. Therefore, brothers and sisters in Christ, no more walls between you. No more arrogant pride that makes you think you're better than others. No more shunning one another if you know Jesus. In other words, you see, when we respond to God's offer of mercy and receive Jesus as Savior, we just can't have that hostility toward one another, toward especially any other believer ever again. I mean, it's what I tried to point out last week in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The only thing that really keeps us broken from one another is our pride, where we think that person out there in the world is worse than I am. And he's just already said, we were all dead in our transgressions and sins. We've all needed mercy. So we can't think, well, that group out there, they're worse than I am. They've done things I would never do because the things that you and I have done have required the blood of Jesus for us. So a, a true believer can never hold that other person at arm's length. Mm. What he's saying is, when you come to understand, just like Mr. Turaki had said to the man in the tribe, when it comes to Jesus, you have not yet understood what it means that Jesus died for you. For when you have in God's family, there is no boasting. No boasting and no walls. So the question is, what had to happen so that the walls that divide people from people could ever come down? What first had to happen was our, our wall to God had to be broken. We had to be made right with God, and Jesus came and gave his life so that that could happen. But as I read this, as Paul takes on this other thing, on a practical level, the ongoing sins of hostility that we have toward pe people that existed back in the church of Ephesus still exist in our day. He had to identify them. He had to call them out and to call them to repentance of them. And I think the same thing is true in our own day. So one of the things I want to say to us in the light of this is we should never be surprised when we come into a gathering of any kind of people, even God's people, where there still are broken relationships and some feelings of hostility. And I want to say to you as I preach this sermon today, if you even see in your own heart that there are some hostility that you have towards some people you just don't really want to worship with, you come and you see them come in that side, you say, well, I'm going to go over here and sit on this side. Don't be surprised about that either. God isn't done with any of us yet, and yet at the same time, the more you see texts like this and the more you walk, grow in your walk with God, the more aware you'll become of the fact that we cannot retain that kind of brokenness and be faithful to Christ. So what do we do 
uh, when we begin to see areas of brokenness in our relationships and in our church, just like there in Ephesus. Well, I'll tell you, that's what the rest of Ephesians is going to be talking about, so you'll have to come back again. So I thought with the time I had here today, the best thing I could do is just let the Apostle Paul start where he started with this, going to verses 19 to 22, and just let him begin the journey for us. You ready? He's calling us to become who we are, one household, living out here in this place, the peace of Christ. Look at verse 19. He's just talked about Jesus had to die for you. He shed his blood for you. Consequently, it's kind of a big word, right? (laughs) Consequently, this should change your life. This should change our church. That's how he begins. Jesus gave his life to make peace. Consequently, well, consequently what? Already, he has said that the consequence of it in verses 14 to 18 is that now we have to live as one body. And in a body, if one part of it gets burned, the other one feels it when one enjoys so one body. He also talked about we become one humanity. But here in verses 19 to 22, he picks up two other ways of talking about it. So what are the consequences? Consequently, one, we become fellow citizens with God's people. Whatever the background once was, whatever passport we have in our hands, now we become one citizenship, fellow citizens with God's people. You got to see verse 19 begins with the fact that before we come to God, we were aliens and strangers. Alien. That's a word we understand in Southern California, isn't it? On many levels, It really means you just, you're there, but you don't feel like you belong. Now, when you think about in Ephesus, all those people, both Jew and Gentile, they they had some citizenship somewhere. I mean, Paul's was in, he's a Roman citizen. So they had some sort of citizenship somewhere, just as I'm guessing all of us do coming here to Lake today. We we have some passport somewhere. But you've got to know this. I've got to ask you, do you think that that is an eternal citizenship? The answer is easy. It's no. But there is an eternal kingdom, right? There's an eternal kingdom. There is one king over all kings. And before we come to Jesus, we are aliens and strangers to an eternal kingdom. What Jesus does is he brings us inside. He makes us so that we belong. And when we belong to him, we belong together. Let's face it, that sense of alienation is the root cause of almost all the hatred among nations and almost all the racial strife. And this whole sense that we don't really belong just wrecks our inner being. But what he's saying in Christ, what happens is you have a people and place where you belong that can never be taken away. And he was saying to them, live it out there. Make sure that anybody who crosses through your doors and enters into your presence know that they're strangers no more. Powerful, don't you think? What else does he say? What else does he say? Consequently, because of the blood of Jesus, we become fellow members of God's household. Isn't this a much more intimate description of us than just fellow citizens? Uh, The church is is not just a place where uh, God is king over all kings and president over all presidents. No, no, God is our father when we're Christians. 
We're not just citizens, we are God's children. And we are God's children together with people, hallelujah, of every tribe, language, and nations. Together we form what is called the household of God. And again, what this shouts out to us, something that just has to happen more and more here at, at Lake, that whenever people come here, they will find a place and people where they know they belong in Christ. Now, I think one of the biggest challenges for us where God has entrusted to us this huge space, 5,000 seats right here, is how we can feel this intimacy of being one household. Don't you? But this is what God's given us. I mean, the place where we meet, we're not going to have nice couches that we can sit in. So this is what God has given us. So how are we going to actually live out this sense that we're one household? Well, I, I think we're going to have to pray a lot about it, pray with one another, work hard at it. Uh, those who are more introverted, uh, be willing to let some of us as extroverts just come plowing into your presence. <laughs> Those of us who are extroverted, look for people who would rather be alone and, and be more gentle. As we, Whatever we have to do, I'm just trying to come up with stuff on the spot right now. We need to pray toward that end because that's what we are. I want you to experience that kind of belonging here. And Jeff, you're right. I think we need to find a small group to be a part of for this, that to actually happen more and more and more. And I don't know if you noticed when Preston read, he starts by saying that we're one household, one family of God, and then he begins to say, well, it's also like we're the, we're the house itself. We're the place where God dwells. We're the place where now when people come, they meet God here and where we meet God here. Uh, that, that, that's what he, he says to us. He, and he says, if people in the world want to know where can they come and meet God, it is among you. So, so the dwelling place of God is not just a building. We don't have to have a building. But when God's people meet, we meet him in a new and precious way. Remember Jesus said, when two or three of you gathered together, I'm there. He's always there. But together there is... A deeper thereness. Have you ever experienced that as we sing together and, and praise God together? And the world should see it and know that if I want to meet God, I need to go there to Lake Avenue Church and find out how they've met him. Now, all this language uh, about us being one body, one new humanity, one new citizenship, uh, one new household, on one respect, when you hear that, you might think, as sometimes people in our world think, well, if we're going to create oneness, that all sounds like when you become a Christian, he just obliterates all of your distinctiveness. And, and so you no longer see any differences. Uh, you don't see color anymore. How do I do that? Uh, before, everybody, you, people were playing uh, uh, poker, and now you come to church and everybody plays rook. Uh, before, you really like jazz and others like, but when you come to church, you like, well, whatever. But that's not what God does. I know that the, when the world wants to create oneness, often they want to obliterate and get rid of any kind of different differences. Do you, do you know that that happens or, or we have to try to ignore them and to try to say there's no difference, male and female? Back a number of years ago, there was this television show called Community. Did any of you ever, with NBC? Uh, it, it was shot right down here at Los Angeles Community College, but it was really a fictionally set in a place called Greendale Community College in Greendale, Colorado. 
And the dean there was so passionate about these issues of political correctness to try to eliminate any distinctions among people, any, any differences among people, that he decided what I have to do is come up with a uh, sports team name that it will just be all embraceive and no distinction. So he called them the Greendale Human Beings. And then, then, then as they had to come up with a mascot, it had to try to get rid of that for the mascot. I'll show you a picture of it. The Greendale human being. You know, no, you can't tell what skin color that is. You can't tell what gender all of that is. Let me just tell you tonight, today, God does not work that way. Can anybody say thank you, Jesus, that, 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 that he doesn't do that? I love this part about the gospel of Jesus. He makes us one, but he doesn't make us one by making us uniform. He creates us one by simply drawing us together in Christ. We, we are, we're still male and female. We are still old and young. We still have the distinctive gifts and personalities that we have. But what God does is he brings us together into a new identity that transcends them all. We are children of God through the grace of God received by faith in Jesus. That's who we are. And uh, amen. And Jesus is at the heart of this whole thing. Uh, verse 20, of this new building, household he's building, he is the cornerstone. Do you see that? The chief cornerstone. And to understand this, you have to understand that the construction in the ancient world was a different kind of construction. This masonry foundation that they laid was not like the way we do so in our world. It was one where they would start with what was called a cornerstone. I'll show an illustration, but it's not really a good one because it's just too easy to align things around that cornerstone. The stones they would align around wouldn't be always of the same shape, but every other stone that would come, become a part of that building had to be aligned with cornerstone. I'm telling you, I think that is just the greatest illustration that Paul uses, that the thing that draws us together is that we become more and more Jesus-aligned, conformed to the image of Jesus, seeing people as Jesus sees people, treating people the way that we saw Jesus treat people, growing up in the kind of maturity that we see in Jesus. That's what I pray will happen among us. When we do that, as we grow together, I think we experience the, the presence of God in new ways, and I'm telling you, the world, when they see it, they say, oh, God must dwell in that church. God must dwell in that church. And that's what he says in verse 22, in Christ, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, I, I wanna bring this home. He, I started all the way to Nigeria. And then I took us back here to Ephesus. I want to bring it home to us. A couple of things. First, I want to tell you about a commitment that we have made as a church. If you're new, you're not aware of this. The rest of you, you've heard it. It's based on this text. When we ask what is important to us, core values we often call them, what is really important to us, this text came to the fore. And one of the specific core values that we have identified is what I, you see here. Based on Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, the core value of kingdom community, it's this. Reflecting God's family, his household, in the church, we are unified across cultural, generational, socioeconomic, and racial, ethnic differences. Now, you know that's aspirational. We're not there yet, right? 
We're not there yet, but that is with God's power and by his grace where we're headed as a church. And I hope you'll just join us on that beautiful, beautiful journey. Now, as I've thought about that, keep that, keep that uh, core value up there. As I, I've thought about the many walls of hostility that must have existed in the church in Ephesus, the one that Paul picks out to address first is the Jew-Gentile problem. I mean, it drew together so many of these issues, racial, ethnic differences, things that had happened in their backgrounds. But that's the one he said, that's where I have to start. So I began thinking about us. When you think about the potential divisions that we might have in a church in 21st century here in the United States, what would be the greatest wall that we probably should be aware of? I looked at all of those. Cultural, that's really a possibility for us because we have people from so many different cultures here. Generational, that sure is a hard one. It's hard to figure out how to worship together. Socioeconomic is always an issue. Man, racial, ethnic differences. It's going to take the power of God there too, right? Amen? But the, I, so I did what I always do. I, I asked person after person, what do you think the biggest possibility of hostility and division at Lake Avenue Church might be? And everybody gave me the same answer. It's this, bringing the divisions that we see in our nation's political arena into the life of our household of faith. I thought, well, I better say something. So as I watched that hearing related to our Supreme Court playing out with such hostility, I began to do what the Bible commands us to do. I didn't know what to do, but what, here's what it commands us to do. Pray for our leaders. I began to pray specifically for our United States senators this week. Have, have you done that? I, I prayed that God would give them wisdom, sound minds, Lord, give them an understanding of what is true, what is good and what is right, and the courage to do that. I've been praying that. Have you been? And I've been praying for us here at Lake that God would enable us to walk through this time, showing the world a different way, not in uniformity. Oh, man, we're not going to become uniform about political issues here at Lake. Just, just mark that down. I mean, we have some of us as blue as you could be and some as red as you can be. And now God, by the blood of Jesus, has brought us here into this church. So we're not going to be uniform. We're not going to be, but we've got to be one in Christ. And so I, I've been praying that God would help us to have the maturity to listen to one another and to discuss even political matters respectfully and then even pray for our leaders together. Do you think we could, is that possible? Might take the power that raised Jesus from the dead, but we have that here. I have prayed that not a one of us would say, I will not worship in that same household of faith as people who hold those views. I'll tell you, we just can't have in our church family the kind of hostility that we've been witnessing in Washington, D.C. We have a higher citizenship, an eternal citizenship. We're going to live together forever, and it's been established by the blood of Jesus. Okay, oh man. Call out one more thing. Almost all of us, I know this too, almost all of us have some hostility and walls in our personal relationships. Many of them are right there in our families, aren't they? Sometimes they've been passed down to us by things that have happened in the past that we just can't 
put it away, we can't, we can't call it out, we, we just are mad about it. Sometimes there are things that we continue to build those walls. I tell you, here's what I've decided to do. I want to ask you to ask the Spirit of God to search your heart and your relationships right now, knowing that there often are many walls, but to help you to identify one particular one, and I put this question here that I want you to ask. What wall in your relationships would you ask God to tear down today? Um, Beware. If you really ask that question, you have to know that Jesus will almost certainly ask you to take the first step toward peace. Read the Sermon on the Mount you take that first step toward peace. And in addition, he'll ask you to do that with humility. He won't ask you to go there and you just say, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to establish peace, but you've got to admit that all the wrong is yours. You've got to take that step not so much with the desire to win a battle as to want the very best for that other person and want the reconciling power of the Holy Spirit to take place. Got to remember that in order for Jesus to bring about peace, he had to tear down some walls of hostility. And those still exist, I'm sure, in many, many of our human relationships. And it might be a part of it is in your own heart. Some pride, some anger, some grudges, some of those may have to be broken down. You may have to be ready when you go both to forgive the other person, but maybe the harder thing sometimes is to receive forgiveness from that other person because you don't want to acknowledge that you need forgiveness. When you take steps like this, often it doesn't work as well as you would hope quickly. Have you ever noticed that? It doesn't go well. But God works on the long run, on the long haul, right? So if it doesn't go well, I want to assure you of this as your pastor, that when you take steps toward peace, simply in obedience to God's word. God will be pleased with you. There'll be a joy in your heart. And eventually in his time, you'll begin to see that he can and will do more than you know how to ask or think or even imagine. But that's a later text (laughs) in Ephesians and we'll come to that again. Here's what I'm praying. As the walls begin to come down among us, and in our extended relationships, that you and the the world who watches you and watches us will see that God is here, and God is here. They will see that we are a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit, and I'll tell you, that will be to his glory. Amen. Amen. May it be. Uh, I've asked my brother, Pastor Jeff, to come and lead us in prayer. I've been so wound up in this prayer. Jeff, if you'll lead us in prayer, thank you.